I'd love to. Now, this isn't mine. This is from Confucius. So take this on board. But it's a quote that really hit differently for me when I heard it maybe two months ago on a podcast. And it goes, we all have two lives. And the second begins when we realize that we only have one. Do something about it. Get after it. Earn it. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance Podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Hey, come on in. It's time for us to get some motivation, inspiration, some guidance, something we can hang on to, a little gold nugget we can hang on to, and we know when times of suffering, time of trials and tribulation, times of challenges, adversity, difficulties, hardship comes into life, we know that we can get through it to the other side and still live a good life. You know, just because we go through a certain bad stuff, certain trials, doesn't mean we have to be like that forever and ever and ever and a day. All right, we can get out of that and move forward. Then what do we do? We help the next person. We pay it forward for them to help the next person so they can, everybody can get and move forward and have a good life. All right, today, our, our guest today, oh boy, this is going uh, to be interesting. It's going to be fun here uh, to learn from this guy. All right, this guy here, he said that he was having this persistent headache. He just kept going pounding, just kept going. And he went to an optometrist, see if they can find out maybe help identify what's going on. And he said, next thing happened is they gave him a sealed envelope, an optometrist, sealed envelope, and told him to go directly to the hospital. And what followed? Uh, that's what we're going to find out. What followed? Welcome to the show, uh, Dan McQueen. Hey, James, pleasure to be here. Yes, sir. Thank you for being here. And then we tell people that, uh, you know, they say time is valuable and I appreciate you sharing your valuable time with us and the listeners and uh, your story and how you're going to help someone in the future. Wonderful. So, all right, Dan. So uh, my platform is fairly easy. I just pretty much turn it over to you and I tell people that, you know, I'll ask questions and I'll put what we call my two cents in, uh, but with inflation, that's really a, a nickel, right? But really it's still only two cents. So, uh, but we, we'll just have a conversation and talk to basically what we're going to do, Dan. So Sounds good, James. So Thank you, thank you sir. So go ahead and you pick a start us where it's uh, best for us to get going. Sounds good, James. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm grateful to be on your podcast. All right. So I was having these headaches, as you mentioned, um, last over a few weeks. And I was starting to get a bit worried about them. I went to A&E, which is accident and emergency in the UK. I was living in London when this all happened. And they thought it was vertigo. They sent me home with some pills to address vertigo. But just as I was leaving, they mentioned, you know, if the headaches persist, you should get them checked in an optometrist because they can run some tests there to see what's going on. So as you mentioned, I was in the middle of an exam when the optometrist, Mr. Patel, he stopped the exam. You know, not a casual move and gave me a sealed envelope, which was not a casual move. And told me to go directly to Moorfields Hospital, which I sort of did. I stopped at home first to grab a Jack Reacher book by Lee Child. And grab uh, lunch. I figured I'd be in for a bit of a wait. And a phone charge a few bits. Went to Moorfields Hospital. They ran the same test and escalated me up to a hospital. 
Turns out I need to have brain surgery. I had a non-cancerous growth in my brain that was preventing the fluid from my brain draining as it normally does. All right. The pineal gland. So, you know, I messaged my, my family back home in Vancouver, dropping the old, looks like I'm going to have to have brain surgery tomorrow. Not a casual email to do. I dropped a, a phone call to my manager and a few friends. Don't think I'll be on Monday for work, I said. My mom was in the air flying to London on June 21st, 2014, when I was on the operating table. Something went wrong and I had a massive bleed in the brain, a brain hemorrhage. Mm. The cyst burst in my brain. Yes. So I was in a coma for four weeks, in and out of consciousness for months after that. Things were dicey, touch and go. By the end of it, I was learning how to walk, talk, and smile again. Wow. Um, was brought to uh, Wolfson Rehab Center. You know, after this is where the rehab center I was brought to, to learn how to walk again. And uh, in order to walk, I had to wear a splint because my leg had atrophied in the coma. Atrophy just means like it had frozen at an angle. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't mm-hmm. able to use it. It wasn't viable at the time. Yeah. I had to wear a splint, which is like a cast you wear over your leg that helps stretch out your leg. Okay. Uh, the first time I wore the splint all the way through the night, no issue, no problem. It was easy. This will be easy, I thought, James. The second night, after 20 minutes, it was painful. After 30, it was dreadful. After 40, it was unbearable. We took the splint off. But we resided to wear the splint one hour every night going forwards because I wanted to walk again. And the splint mm-hmm. was needed to stretch the leg out. Mm-hmm. So the third night, we um, wrapped the leg up. Gave me a, the clicker to call the nurse, the nurse, the buzz nurse clicker, and uh, timed on my phone for one hour. After 20 minutes, it was dreadful. After 30, it was unbearable. After 40, it was excruciatingly painful. I start passing the clicker back and forth. Uh-huh. I've got double vision as a result of the brain injury, which means I can't see any of this. I'm feeling this out. Okay. And the pain's getting excruciatingly painful, so I toss it, and I miss the clicker. It drops on the floor. I go to the edge of the bed. I look over the edge of the bed. I see the clicker on the floor, three and a half feet down on hard, hard linoleum. I got the splint on my leg. I can't move. I can't move at all. Help, help, I yell. Yeah. Where the Wolfson's in L shape, which means it's short on this side, long on this side. They're on the far side. They can't hear me calling for help. There's still 20 minutes left on this timer. This leg is excruciatingly painful. I had two options. The first option is to wait for them to come back. They may come back in 20 minutes. They may have gotten to Tahiti. I don't know. They may have taken Oh, yeah, off. yeah. And, and, and while, while staying in pain. And the second option is to grab the clicker on the floor. But the problem was it was so far on the ground, I figured it might break my arm. Yeah. In fact, I figured it was about a 50-50 chance of me breaking my arm, a coin flip. So I decided to flip the coin. I smashed down on the floor. Oh, no. <laughs> the arm holds. I hammer the clicker. I hammer the clicker, thinking they're going to come burst into the room to my rescue. They kind of came in five minutes later. Oh, what are you doing on the floor? Don't <laughs> worry about that. Let's get the splint off my leg, please, and let's move forwards with this. Yes. We learned a couple lessons from this, James, and that was, you know, the first being don't pass the clicker back and forth. There you go. That's not a good idea when you got double vision. Yes. The second being do the splint up at the hip, not at the ankle. That way I can undo it should this happen again. Never did, thankfully. I learned the first lesson. But 
the whole thing was filled with these ups and downs, fits and starts, sputters and, and climbs. And it was an uphill battle. I've had a number of setbacks. I had to learn how to walk, talk, and smile again. You know, from there we moved up to walking in the hallways of the Wolfson, which was an uphill battle there, slowly chipping away at this and small measurable goals, small incremental improvements, slow is smooth and smooth is fast kind of vibe. So um, so I was looking at the notes again over here. So 2014 when all this was taking place and you was in the coma for four weeks, you said, uh, how long did they start with going to your physical therapy? Did they, you know, directly after the coma? So I was in Charing Cross Hospital for a few months, two or three months. Then I was moved to Wolfson Rehab Center. And um, at the time it was Tudor and Broadway. It's now moved. So it took me probably four months to get back to uh, a Wolfson Rehab Center where I was learning how to walk again. Mm-hmm. During this time at Charing Cross, I had to learn how to talk again. So my voice box, I had a, had a respirator that I was hooked up to to help me breathe when I was in the, yes. in the, in the hospital. And I couldn't talk initially when I got to the hospital. And they told me, they told my parents, we looked at the x-rays. It looks like he's not going to be a talker anymore. He can't talk. His voice box is kind of ruined from this. Luckily, they never told me this, but, you know, my folks kind of believed that I could talk again. And we had a nurse that kind of prodded me to help me talk again. And she brought me down to the park to, you know, out on my wheelchair because I was in a wheelchair at the stage. And she goes, these guys mm-hmm. across the park, Dan, they don't think you can talk. They don't yeah. think you're good enough to talk, Dan. And so I just, I managed to find the voice, right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know anything. I can talk. Da, da, da. Uh, across the park, they don't know what, what kind of hell I've unleashed on them, right? Yeah, yeah. But just an indication of just what we were at, Like I had to learn how to walk in. Getting into the wheelchair took 45 minutes, then 40, then 35, then 30. Mm-hmm. This is all an uphill battle. This is all learning this stuff as we go. Nothing was easy. Everything was hard and intrusive and excruciatingly painful to do. So it was uh, a slow going in the Wolfson or Charing Cross Hospital. And then we got shifted over to uh, to Tudon Broadway where we kind of rebuilt it our, our way back up. And I was there for three, four months and then was released back home where I continued rehab on the home front, doing vocational therapy, preparing mm-hmm. for return to work, voc- um, speech and language therapy. My, um, my voice box was gone, so I had to learn how to talk again, right? Yeah. And also some of those other physio stuff as well. So I'd be going to the gym and, and big in the pool as well. So it was um, it was an uphill battle. Oh, and yeah. It used to be something I deal with every day. And I have to be very intentional in my day in order to show up in a way that I want to be represented and show up for other people. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I definitely understand the uphill battle with when I got my spinal cord injury, neck broke playing football and paralyzed. So, yep, the uh, the – what we, you know, took for granted, it was so easy in life. And here we are. I mean, I, I even made the comparison that a baby was better than me at that time because he can at least uh, throw his arms and kick his legs where I couldn't do it at that time. I want to share a quote with you, um, James, if I may. Yeah, go ahead. One that kind of helped me navigate this and then kind of put some stuff in perspective going forwards is the sick man wants one thing. 
The healthy man wants a thousand things. Mm. When you're sick, when you've got an obvious hindrance, that's mm-hmm. all you care about resolving. You don't care about anything else in the world. That's what you want to fix. Yes. When you're healthy, I could do a new car, a new job, a new house, a new commute, a new whatever, like a new bike, whatever you want. There's so many things you can want and you crave. But like when you're sick, all you want is that one thing. Yeah. This, this experience has kind of showed me that like perspective is is everything. That's the, the biggest lesson this experience has given me is that how you view the world is everything. And like you can choose to view it from one way or the other way, but it's not – it's not easy, but it's it's like simple to kind of identify this, right? Like it's not easy to know that this happened, but like it's easy to know that I want to walk again, so I'm going to try walking. I guess I'm going to try walking again. Yes. I'll move up from the Zimmer frame to the Ferrari to naked walks to walking to Broadway. Like I'll, I'll take the steps to do that, but it's not going to be easy to get there, but it's easy to know that I'm taking a right here. And come hell or high water, I'm going to make it down that road. That's because right. that's the way you got to approach it. Exactly. Hey, have you heard of a fellow named... W, he uses the, his first name is, I've always known his first name is W, like the letter in alphabet W, Mitchell. Have you heard of W Mitchell? Heard of w Mitchell, I've interviewed him. He's been a personal mentor to me. He, back in the late 60s, 69 or so, he was in a automobile, uh, well, automobile accident, but he was in a motorcycle and got hit and the uh, gas came out of the gas tank on the uh, the motorcycle, he got 60% of his body burnt. Face, lost all his fingers, thumbs, just had mittens, pretty much his palms. And, you know, 60% of his body burnt, especially the face again. And so years of going through therapy with skin grafts and all this, like you said, starting all over, learning to dress again, learning to feed himself with these mittens without fingers. About four years, five years later, he's learning to fly these you know, these small planes, Cessna planes, learn to fly. He come down, something was acting up. He come down and they bounced the plane when he landed it. And he had like four of the people with him. So the four people was with him. They got out, no problem. When the plane bounced, it broke his back. Oh, no. Now, here's a guy who was already burnt 60% of his body, including his face. And now he's paralyzed. Can't walk. I mean, talking about a double whammy. Now, from why I'm saying this, this the the quote you just said does, you know, a, a sick man or ill man uh, wants one thing, you know, where the healthy wants a thousand. So here's what I'm getting with uh, W is his big main quote saying that I tell people, he says, before my injury, I could do 10,000 things. Now I can only do 9,000. He says, I concentrate on the 9,000 I can do, not the 1,000 I can't do anymore. Yeah, James, I love that because that mindset's been so key for me during this whole process. And one way that I've been able to find resolve and solace in my injury has been repeating the phrase, control the controllables. Uh, Yes, there you go. That's awesome. That's awesome, yeah. That's a good way to kind of take this on board because – when you're stressed about stuff in your life, what can I control? Only focus on those things. If you can't control it, I punt it. I don't spend any energy worrying about it. Maybe this could happen. Maybe not. Like I don't worry about it. I punt it immediately because 
Life's too short to worry about stuff you can't control. Why, why give it bandwidth? You can't influence it at all. That's right. That's right. And how many people that we have seen or maybe even know that, yeah, they're frozen in time because they worry about what they can't control? Yeah, it's a bit, it's tough to, to show that knowledge and stuff. I think when COVID happened, I was living in the UK in London, right? And COVID lockdowns were quite strict in London. They closed like my pool. You couldn't go outside. You can only go outside for groceries. It was quite strict. And I really, I was living by my, like, I'm a single guy. I was living in my own, in a flat chair, but in a, in a flat in London. And there's, you know, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go swimming again. It was very tough. And what I really found solace was control the controllables. I can't control this impact here. But eventually I got myself organized and managed to move back to Vancouver uh, last fall. And that's what I could control was that move back to Vancouver. And like, I came back to Vancouver mm-hmm. and then ironically enough, you know, last in August, I actually was let go from my job in a corporate restructuring part of 400 people that got let go of a job in one day. And my brother messaged me, he goes, Dan, I just want to say, I'm really sorry for what happened, but knowing you, this will be a, a minor bump in what you've overcome so far. And I was like, you know, it's very true that, um, you reframe it as like what you can control and what you've been through. Like losing my job is not ideal, but you know, now is a great opportunity for, for me to focus on my speaking career and, and stuff like that. So I kind of mm-hmm. instantly reframed it. They call it the, I'm going a bit all over the map here. I apologize, James. No, you're doing great. Keep on. The, um, the, uh, the steps of acceptance mm-hmm. or grief, maybe grief or acceptance, but like acceptance is near the bottom. I've managed to kind of fast track it to acceptance right off the hop. So I got like over my job at 10 a.m., went for lunch, had a few drinks. By 1 p.m., I was going to get a new computer to start my speaking career the next day. So by 1 p.m., I'd already, you know, accepted it and already reframed my mind to address the next obstacle, the next the next hit, the next thing. Like you're, that, you're- that, that mindset, something I learned from this brain injury is like you can't control this. Why waste energy on what could have been, what was out of your control? Because wishing something didn't happen is not a way to get a solution. It just means that by the end of wishing it for it, you're going to be at the square one where I've taken 20 steps because I've been moving down the road because I've accepted it. This is the way it is. It's not fair. It's not fine, but it is what it is. And I've taken steps down the road to improve myself where you've just been here. This shouldn't have happened to me. You're right. It shouldn't have happened to you. But now I've got to ask the question, and what do you expect to happen now? It shouldn't have happened to you, but what do you expect to have happen? Like, don't worry about what, like, it shouldn't have happened. Yeah, but like, what, what, that's not your fault, but it's your responsibility to move forwards, right? It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. Exactly. I'm going to go back quickly, uh, what you uh, mentioned about uh, the nurse, you know, trying to get you to to talk and everything uh, from there. Uh, Nurses are awesome. Uh, they should get paid more money than doctors, I think. I understand the doctors have the knowledge. I understand the whatever, but these nurses are seeing you eight hours a day, basically, where he's coming in for 20 minutes at uh, 5.30 in the morning, you know, these doctors. And so, man, when I was in the hospital after my injury, I, I fell in love with Vicky. Vicky, if you ever catch his podcast, get out to me. I'm still in love with you. So, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, Man, yeah, nurses are awesome. Now, let's go back to a minute ago when you were talking about acceptance and, and stuff like that. You're you're over teaching my ABCs now, Dan. 
You teach them ABCs. I teach people ABCs what I teach. All right. You don't have to sing. Any, I mean, Michael Jackson, he only sang ABC, ABC. He never went any further. So I teach ABCs. A, accept your adversity. The sooner yeah. you accept it, the sooner you can move on in life and start healing. It doesn't mean you said it perfect. Doesn't mean you have to like it. You don't have to love it. You don't have to, you know, uh, uh, agree that it all happened. Why this happened to me? Anything? Yeah. You don't have to love it. You don't have to like it, but you have to accept it so you can start healing and moving forward. Then I teach the B is begin battling. And today, what do we do to begin battling? At the end of our fingertips, get on that internet, find people that's been through stuff that you've been through, and ask them. Talk to them. Talk to organizations. Talk to other doctors. Get a life mentor. Get uh, you know anybody, a coach that can help you. Then the third thing is conquer C, conquer your challenges. And now we take everything we've learned from A and B, and let's go do it. So like you said, you know you were accepting, got your computer so you can start working on your speaking opportunities coming in the future. So, yeah, you're teaching my ABCs, man. Good job. So, new job, James. Sorry. I've got two more stories I want to share with you, James. And those are the worst yes. experience in the medical space and the, and the best. Yes, sir. Go and ahead. Around, like around your perspective around being treated as a human first. So, I used to do these interviews for um, medical students, which in the UK, you can start doctor school at 18, which is wild because in Canada and the States, I presume, you have to do an undergrad first and then you're eligible to go to med, med school. Yes, exactly. So, like, the kids are, like, 22, 23, but these kids were 18, right? Wow, okay, yeah. You go to my house, and they go, we do interviews about, like, my experience, because obviously I spent a lot of time in the hospital. And she goes, Dan, what's one thing that I should really remember as a, as a new doctor? What's one lesson that you can pass along to me? And I go, you know what? I thought about it for a minute, because, you know, I've got, I've got uh, the ability to impact and influence a, a young doctor. How can I do this to the best of my ability? Uh-huh. I said, you have to treat the person as a, as a person first, and a patient second. Yes. Person first, a patient second. And I got a story to exemplify this. I was learning, well, I was do- doing um, optom- like an eye test at the, op- the optometrist after the injury, after the brain injury. And she, she had a pen, right? And she goes, drag this down. Don't move your head. Let me know when you can't see the, the pen anymore. And I go, oh, I can't see it because the double vision, which I still have, means mm-hmm. I can't see it. But when that goes away, I'll be able to see that just fine. And she goes, oh, that's not going away. Mm-hmm. And I go, excuse me? The double vision is not going to go away. That's that's going to be there for life. And I go, oh, I didn't realize that. That was the first time I had heard this. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't blame her because someone else should have told me. But like to casually say that to someone like, hey, no, that's for life. Like I was devastated man that that, that hit me square in the gut and just devastated me i was like almost in tears by that movement like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. actually like oh that's for life it's like well yeah it's my life this is my life now yeah that was the worst experience and the best experience i had was meeting my gp in uh in london jens Foles, dr jens Foles, if you're listening big up sir and when i first met him i was waiting in the waiting room and he goes damn mcqueen I get up, I had an eye patch and a cane. He goes, Dan, I read your file. And my file at this stage is probably two of these. Oh, yes. Oh, and yes. Two of these, like this, this big files, right? I read your file. I thought you'd be a wreck. And I go, James, or I go, Jens, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Yeah, there you go. And I tell him that story because that showcases the human relationship we had together. 
Also, it showcases the amount of charm and wit I've got off the cuff, which I thought was pretty pretty cool. But uh-huh. yeah. that exercise relationship we had was about the human side of things, not the medical stuff. Because you can tell me the worst news in the world, but if you treat me as a human being first, I got time for you. If you just go through and you're like, oh, that's for life. That's not going to get better. You should know this is a matter of fact that it's like, well, this is my life though. Like this is, I've got to live with this every day now. Like double vision is still something I deal with now. Like I see two of this bloody thing and like it's, mm-hmm. it's, I've learned to adapt to it, but it's, it took time to get over this and to adjust to this. And when you treat someone like so casually, like, oh, that's just for life. That's just so disrespectful. I couldn't believe that. So that's the advice I gave them. And hopefully she's, a new doctor probably by now, and she's taking that on board and passing along to her patients. I mean, I, I think you should approach it like you just said. Treat the person as human as possible, patient second. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, that too many of them have the bedside manner that uh, they don't need to be there. And I've seen my mom was real sick uh, early. She's 82 years old, had pneumonia. and We thought we were going to lose her. And we even within the second, third day we're in the hospital, her first doctor and her nurse practitioner uh, already told my brother and me to start preparing for hospice for her. And we're going, wait a minute, you don't know this woman. <laughs> you know how hard-headed she is. Mm-hmm. And after a month of hospital, a month of rehab, she's home doing great. So, but they don't know, but... I want a positive doctor telling me, I understand you got to give me the bad stuff, but you can give it to me in a way that it doesn't sound that bad. You know what I'm saying? It gives me a realistically look at something just to come out and say, y'all need to start preparing for hospice. Yeah. It's not really fair to the, to the person or the family to, to do that. I know like when I was learning to speak again, and they told my family like, Oh, he's not going to be a talker again. It's like, they did this without even looking at me. This is working on my chart. Yes. It's like, how dare you to, 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 to take that away from a family and a, and a patient just without even looking at him, just by looking at a chart, like, oh, I guess he's not going to be a talker anymore. The chart says so. It must be the case. It's like, well, like your mom, like, I was like, you don't, you don't know. I didn't know this at the time, but like, she got it out of me. Like it was inside me and it's not on your bloody chart. It's like inside me that I've done this. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And tell me I can't do something and I will bend the world to show you wrong, to prove you That's wrong. right. That's right. I will now, bend the world to prove you wrong. There you go. Um, I like, man, I like your, your gusto. I like your energy, man. Um, let me ask this question. Before all this took place, was Dan the same, I'm a go-getter, I'm going to prove you wrong, I'm positive thinking, or did Dan convert during all this? So before this happened, I was uh, living in London, as I mentioned. I was a pretty active, pretty uh, social guy, like played lots of sports, loved the girlfriend, mm-hmm. very sociable. Life came very easy to me. I guess I had I, I'd done a lot of work to get my social life to a level where I was pretty happy with. Life came easy to me. After the brain injury, everything was difficult. Everything was excruciatingly painful. I had to be very intentional with my thoughts and my actions. And, and it's starting to come back now where it's a bit more natural and a bit more easy, but it's still a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, before this happened, my mindset was always positive, always happy, go lucky, but always I'm going to prove you wrong. I've always been an underdog and relished that, that position in life. Uh, I, I think I've always loved being underestimated and proving people wrong because that's 
what gets me going. It's like, oh, you don't think I can do this? Watch me, bud. I'll catch you at the finish line. Like that, that's what gets me going. And I love proving people wrong is the biggest motivator for me is getting that. You don't think I can do this? Watch me. I like, uh, you, you mentioned earlier that, um, we, we, we are stronger than sometimes, uh, what we believe. And when we go through a struggle like this and come out the other end, you know, then we realize how, how strong we are and how tough in mindset and, and everything with it. So uh, sometimes we, sometimes we underestimate ourselves during the time, like, during the time of hardship. Yeah. Like now it's like, James, like I've been through this, and what are you going to come at me with that's going to intimidate me, scare me, put me off? Like I've, That's right. That's I've right. been to the edge of this twice. Like I've also had a second setback too, James. So I didn't mention this before, but like after I got back to work, I did all the rehab, got back to walking again, talking again, back to work. I had a second setback. And the second setback happened when I was found unconscious in my flat by my mom. Hmm. The shunt that's in my brain had blocked leading to hydrocephalus. And mm-hmm. I was in for emergency brain surgery. I woke up and again in the hospital bed with the beeping sound of a respirator and the heart monitor going, thinking, what happened? What happened? And I was told, Dan, you had emergency brain surgery. You were found unconscious. And I had been at work for maybe two months, back to work again. I was like, you mean all my progress is washed away? All of it's gone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had emergency brain surgery, so we saved your life and we got the, the blockage out. Don't worry, it's all fine with that. And I was just the lowest of the low. I call it the depths of the human experience because yeah. all my progress was washed away in an instant. It was gone. It was yeah. like never happened. I was I had lived a year, I made all that progress, and it was taken away from me overnight. And I was gutted by this. And then slowly I gave myself a few days of being pitiful and spiteful and angry. and uh, just I hear you. Jaded. I hear you. I was furious at the world, James. And and then I realized, you know, I had done this before. I know hey, how you to can, you, can, you, can, you can say it on this podcast because I've said it before that I was pissed off at the world. It wasn't no furious. I was pissed off. So, yeah, you can say it on this and it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I was fired up. I was not yeah. happy. I was angry. I was bitter. I was jaded. I was... Yes. This isn't fair, but life, life's not fair, James. It's not fair, and it doesn't care what you think about it. And me wishing it never happened doesn't change the fact that it's happened, and I'm lying That's in right. bed hearing that beeping noise go off, and I go, you know what? I know how to do this again because I wasn't in a wheelchair this time. I could walk, so I'm, I'm already further ahead than I was in the past. So you're a little ahead of the game this time. A little ahead of the game, right? And I knew, I knew how to rebuild, and because I'd already done rehab, I wasn't able to do that because that was a vein I already tapped. Yes. I do this on my own at home, on my own accord. So I had to build back up from this. But to tell you I was low at this stage would be an understatement, man. I was lower than I've ever been. I describe my recovery like a W shape, James. So the first setback is this big W drop here, Mm -hmm. recovery back to work. And the second setback is not here. It's down here. It's the, the edge of the human experience, I call it. And it's like I had to fight with my everything to keep my head positive and my mind like moving in the right direction. And I had to chip away at this and it took me my everything to get going with this. It was tremendously difficult and tremendously hard to do, but it was something that I've done and I've 
Now, what are you going to come up with now? What can you show me that I haven't done? What, what, what are you tell me I can't do? I can't do this? Okay, cool. Watch me. Yeah, we did. We have <laughs> beat it once. Uh, let's laugh and go again. Uh, of course, it's still not funny, like you said. Now, uh, let me ask this question here. You uh, single man, still singled? I'm single now. I've been back to Vancouver, so I'm... I'm trying to get my life going now as a motivational speaker, James. So I'm trying to. Well, what I was going to ask is about, uh, you mentioned your mom uh, one time. Uh, so do you have a good support system to help you as you're rehabbing and getting better? Yeah, tremendous support system. My employer was super accommodating. Great group of friends that helped me in London to build back from this and this all happened in London, right? Away from my, like I'm from Vancouver, but this all happened in London. So it was all mm-hmm. building back up again in London, which is not, you know, the same English language, but it's a different country, yes. different customs, different ways of doing things. So it was all learning this on the fly. Thank goodness it was, it was Canadian or uh, English, mm-hmm. but and my employer was extremely accommodating. They, you know, we ramped up from two days to three days to four days at work. Workload was very accommodating to this. Uh, I had a lot of help to get back to where I'm at today. And that's why I'm driven to, to speak and to share my message because I had a lot of help. And if you don't have the help that I had, then maybe you don't get back to where I'm at now. And I'm not. Yes, I agree with you. At percent. Yeah. It's like, I want to help you because I've been to the front lines. I've been to the front lines twice and I can tell you, no, no, don't go right here. It's a honeypot. Go around. It's much better this way. I can tell you these, these traps, these, these things that you think are like so important or I mean nothing. When you're flat out fighting for your next breath, like you don't care about, you know, material possessions, things like this. Relationships are what are, what are important to you with your friends, with your family. Like that's really what matters. And I want to kind of showcase this perspective of, you know, it's not what happens. Life happens for you, not to you. Right, James? Like it's not. Uh, yes, I've heard that several times. Yes. It's a beautiful expression because it reminds you that, you know, it, it, Everything is an opportunity. I get to do this. I get to do that. Not this happened to me, but I get to do this. Mm-hmm. And now I want to speak about this because I, I mean, maybe you've had a setback in your life and you think this is the worst thing in the world, but like, I can show you this is not the worst thing in the world. I can show you that, you know, there is some goodness in this. There is some positive that can be gained from this experience because I can, I will, I must. And again, I like what you mentioned here that, uh, as tragic as it, as it was, there has been some good to come out of it and to find that good and hang on to it and use that as a positive is, is awesome. Hey, not only do you need to get into your motivation to speak and you need to uh, write your book and get that out. So um, I've written my book about how I got paralyzed and things. And so I, I believe everybody, not that you're going through a tragedy, everybody should write a book. If nothing else, it's their memoir. That way, when you're dead and gone, your great, 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 great grandkids can read about you. So, Fair enough, James. I'll get to work on the book. I think right now my main priority is trying to get going as a motivational speaker, uh, sharing the message of God. I, I'm going to try and get a TED Talk the next year. That's mm-hmm. the main goal is get on the TED stage. I've got a great little talk I put together that's not totally polished yet, but it's in the process of being finished. Yes. And I'm looking to get on the TED stage and just share my message because – I did this. And they, yeah, exactly. You, you need to get your message out. Yes. I think, yeah, I've, but what do I know? But I think you got a good message. I think you're, you're positive. You've, you, you got a way to teach other people or 
how you came through it and how you can share with them. Again, they don't have to go through brain surgery. If yours is you stumped your toe and it's affecting you in life, then maybe you can take something from your story to help them get through that. Well, that's good that you mentioned that, James, and that the hardest thing that you've ever been through is the hardest thing that you've ever been through. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a brain injury, two brain injuries, learning how to walk, talk, and smile. But maybe for you, it's, it's losing a job or a loved one or your mom or your, or your mm-hmm. partner or your spouse. Like it, it's all different, but it's all relative to yourself. Like that's, yes. that's your truth. That's your experience. That's your hardship. And like I'm not saying one is better than the other. The odds are you're not going to have a brain injury, right? The odds are you're not going to have one. But you're going to face some sort of setback in your life. You're going to take that proverbial punch to the face that Mike Tyson said about a job loss, a diagnosis, a breakup. Um, you're going to face some adversity in your life. And I've got a roadmap to help you build back better and to navigate this in a way that's positive, healthy, and and uh, constructive. Well, I think you're on the right pace. And you definitely need to get out and get your message out there. So, and Dan, I want to appreciate you for being on. We've, we've, had, we've got our time here. Man. I'm glad we got to meet and everything like that. Hey, remember, they say this stuff's on the internet forever and ever and ever. So just think, Dan, a hundred years from now, someone's going to find this and they're going to get inspired and motivated by your story and you're going to help them. So, well, James, thank you. Could I plug a few things before we jump? On the- go ahead. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Go ahead and uh, throw you any of your social media websites, your podcast, put everything out there. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. So McQueen Dan across socials, M-A-C. Q-U-E-E-E-N, Dan, uh, across Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, I'm Dan McQueen, and I've got my website, it's McQueenDan.com. Um, now, I wanted to ask you two questions before we end the call for the day. Is that all right, James? Yes, go ahead. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I just remember these. So you've done, you mentioned over 100 episodes of the podcast. Is that right? We're getting close to 200 episodes, yes. My goodness. What's one lesson you would tell your younger self now, knowing what you know now, before you started the podcast? What's one lesson you would tell yourself? Oh, if I had to go back and especially with going through my injury, is it, again, it's been my, my theme anyway, is to fight the good fight and persevere. You know, to, to, today is not a good day, but tomorrow could be better. Okay. That's great. Thank you. And you've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast. So I'm kind of curious to know if you've identified some themes that have come up from interviewing different people and how they address adversity. Are there any lessons you can share that you've learned over the course of your interviews? A couple of big things that I've learned and you've uh, again have, um, Oh, solidified what I've learned is, um, staying positive, trying to figure out a way to get through what you're through all right and also again a support system that people when when they say if you ever hear someone say i did this all by myself well they're lying to you one they had to have doctors or therapists or psychologists or mom and dad spouse children something had to to keep them going so but yeah, the main the thing is um, I've learned from all of these how positive all of us are, no matter what we've been through. And it's amazing, again, not to not to say that, uh, like you said a minute ago, not to say that your your brain hemorrhaging and surgeries is worse than uh, someone I, I uh, talked to that was 
kidnapped and held for ransom for 20 Please. months for $5 million ransom for 20 months and, and, and kidnapped. Okay. Um, but everybody just so positive as they're going through it to get better. And again, it, it, it just, it makes me feel a lot better that I get to interview you uh, to, to share this message out. One last thing, James, I forgot to mention. I got a podcast as well called Play Loose, Look Tight, Documenting the Process of Life After. Um, what does the name mean? I'd love to detail it for you, James. Yeah, go ahead. Play Loose, have a joie de vivre, enjoy life. Life is fun, life for living, life for enjoying yourself. Play loose, but you got to look tight. Look tight, put together intentional, be on purpose in that way. I like that. I like it. Uh, again, what's the... Uh, Saturday Night Live, I forgot who the character was, uh, but he was played Fernando, and he said he always said it's better to look good than to feel good. So, like you said, you know, have his tight wrapped of you to get his perspective when you're playing the other part. There you go, Chief. So, makes me and think of that. I think you wanted one last quote from me, didn't you, that I was thinking about? What we're going to do here, yes, sir, Dan, is we usually finish off with, uh, we know people are hurting and struggling today, and if you can leave us with a golden nugget, a powerful message to help them get through today, that would be awesome. I'd love to. Now, this isn't mine. This is from Confucius, so take this on board, but it's a quote that really hit differently for me when I heard it maybe two months ago on a podcast, and it goes... We all have two lives, and the second begins when we realize that we only have one. Do something about it, get after it, earn it. That's awesome. I like that message, yeah. So we all have two lives. Second one starts when we realize with the first one. So that's possible. I like that. So, all right, Dan, thank you for coming in. You've been uh, extremely uh, uh, positive and helpful for us again. Um, again, if I can help you with any advice on the motivation, I've been doing uh, speaking, I've been doing this now for 20 years. And so if I can help, let me know, I can help you come up with some ideas anyway. And, uh, again, write your book. Someone told me a long time ago, all you have to do is spend 15 minutes writing a day. And in one year you'll have your book done. So it's not like you have to write the whole thing. I, these people would say, you can write your book in 90 days. I'm sure you can, but not a lot of people want to put everything in on 90 days. So, but again, you just put 15 minutes and within one year, you'll have your book. Now, Dan, it took me 12 years to write my first book. I'd write some, not come back to it for three months, come back eight months later and write some more. <laughs> so it took me 12 years to finally get mine. So don't feel pressure. You have to get it at a certain time. So, all right, I'll see what I can do, James. All right, thank you again. Hey, everybody else, I'm Dr. James Purdue, the Professor of Perseverance. Thank you all for coming in on the Professor of Perseverance podcast. Be sure to share this out to someone you know that can use some inspiration, motivation, some encouragement, some way to look that when a powerful something struggle comes in, that they know they can get to the other side and still have a good life. Do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis thanks for listening to the professor of perseverance podcast for motivation inspiration and encouragement 
For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.